I I thought the skimorphic. Am I saying that word right? Skimorphic. Yeah. Um, that was an interesting. We have to start again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to start again. All good. I lost my thread. Go That's back. fine. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I am your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined by Sylvie. What up, Sylvie? <laughs> what up, Savage? <laughs> you know what? I was trying to start this by walking on my treadmill, and you wouldn't let you me. Were. You said, don't ruin this by just walking in. <laughs> really wasn't about ruining it. You were just making me jealous. You were walking and I was sitting. Come on. That's not true. How often are you walking on that thing these days? I mean, so I have this treadmill. It's called a Treadly. It only goes five miles an hour top speed, mm-hmm. but it's perfect for my standing desk. And um, I would say, like how many hours a day? Yeah. I would say probably an hour and a half for the last week. I've been like, I'll be okay. like walking on it. And then you just get too tired. Is it making a difference? Well, for me with remote working, I like to do phone calls while I'm on a walk. Mm-hmm. So that is like kind of a thing I got into a rhythm of. And then where I am here in Providence, we got a huge amount of snow and the blizzard. And so I can't really just like go do that thing. So it's nice yep. to feel like I can be like slightly more active um, at my desk. Stretch your legs on that treadly. Just stretch them. We keep getting distracted with video. We have to introduce our guests. Oh, you're at right. The top. Um, yes, <laughs> of course. Well, today we have Caesar Kuriyama, who is the CEO and founder of One Second Every Day on the show. Very excited to have him on with us. Um, One Second Every Day is an app that people use to record their life, like record memories, and it's something really fun. I've done it. Um, and as you can guess, uh, Caesar's really into. NFTs and somebody else is. So we're going to spend some time on NFTs today. I feel like you've been waiting for Caesar, knowing that he is your NFT partner in crime. And you guys are just, you're going to lean in. You're going to lean in and I'm going to let you. Yeah. I'm just trying to learn. I'm going to let you. Sylvia, I'm over here trying to learn, trying to learn from the best. And I think Caesar's like, you know, one of those people who he, he goes in early and he goes in hard. He learns the stuff, he figures it out. So Yes, I think we're going to get pretty deep, which is going to be good for me. I hope it's good for the listeners. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Besides NFTs, though, what's got you talking too loud over there? You know, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Wordle right now. Yes. Finally. Finally. That's what I've been waiting yes. for. I mean, things are moving fast out there, right? Here comes this game. They are. Created this guy. What's his first name? Can't remember his name. Josh. Josh Wardle. Josh Wardle. Creates Wordle. <laughs> the five-letter word game where you have six chances to try to guess the word. It goes yep. hyper-viral. Uh, everyone so viral. is doing it. That's a five-letter word. Yeah. I haven't had that one yet. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, I mean, obviously, we all know the breaking news that the New York Times has purchased Wordle. I know. Yeah, I've seen some interesting debate on Twitter about people who are like, yeah, Josh, get paid. And people who are like, no, Josh, why? This was such a pure, pure game. Yeah. And now it is tainted by the times. Yeah. It's interesting to see that because I think like the fact that it's just on a web page and it's isn't it like powerlanguage.co.uk yeah. slash like, like it's game not an app. Yeah. There are no ads. <laughs> yeah. It's something you can do only once a day. It was and is pure. Yes. And that was, I think, part of the mass appeal. Yeah. And I think it's also the fact that you can share how you arrived 
at the result and not ruin the game for others. Such yes. a simple thing. I know. So simple, but just so powerful, right? Those little tiles. Those little tiles. What will they look like? You know, <laughs> today I got it in three, but the first guess, zero letters. And that's become three that's from nothing. That's my favorite. Three from nothing. Or you can get a yellow list, you know, no yellows at all. Keep it no all, green, all green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried doing this. It doesn't always work, but a reverse wordle. So like my sister will send me her tiles mm -hmm. and I'll have to guess based on the tiles what her first word was. Okay. That's a good call. Yeah. Uh, try it out. Okay. All right. So it's okay. uh, sneaky. It's very <laughs> sneaky. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting that that Josh sold it. It makes perfect sense to me. It's just like he did this as a side project for his girlfriend. Right. And then you have a thing that's hundreds of millions of people are using. And now you have to scale and support it and not disappoint them and all that stuff. Like if you don't want to be scaling some big word business, it seems like somebody else who runs a word business should probably be the person to, to own it. Definitely. Yeah, not everybody wants to turn their passion projects into the thing that they do day in and day out. But guess who does? That's a great transition. Our guest, Our guest Caesar. Yes. He has a very interesting story of his main business starting completely as a passion project and his new thing he's doing also starting as like a passion project. So I think, Sylvia, it's that time to jump in the episode. Jump in. I don't know why I did that motion today, but I did it. It's because the videos. Yeah, on. I think that's why. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Caesar, it's been a little while, my man, but it is so good to see you. How are you? Likewise, man. Uh, I'm good. It's been a you know very uh, unique couple of years in every possible respect. But, you know, if there's been waves of good and waves of bad, like any other year. So, uh, you know, trying to make the best of it as usual. When I think about you, I think about you as someone who goes after exciting things left and right. I have so much I want to talk to you about. And ADHD. You, yeah. Or you just ADHD. Yes. Uh, there's, many, there's many things I want to talk to you about in this episode. But first, as you know, the show is called Talking Too Loud, uh, because I cannot control the volume of my voice as I get excited. But we like to start by hearing about what's got you talking too loud. So what has got you talking too loud right now? Well, I've become one of those people who, um, you know, you put me in a room with a bunch of people and, you know, I'm like, what are you, are you, are you guys, are you guys doing NFTs yet? Are, are we talking NFTs? <laughs> it's just been uh, my obsession over the past year. Uh, and, you know, back when I started paying attention to the space, like, uh, probably December, I would say of 2020, wow. you know, the space was like you had to dig for information about anything but then as you know as things ramped up over the course of 2021 it was a wave of human beings that kind of started arriving to the space every minute it felt like and now it seems like it's pretty mainstream like i can i can't get a tell yeah i don't even think is it's it mainstream no, i think it's the knowledge <laughs> of nfts exists i think is mainstream i think people who actually use them to understand them and like have an idea yeah. of where they're going is not yet in my opinion yeah 100 um, yes. yes yes well look i want to get into that i have a lot of things i want to talk about there but i want to frame who you are and what you do and what you've been doing um and for the listeners who don't know you're the ceo and founder of one second every day and 
as you know, I have used one second every day, like for years at a time of my kids growing up and you basically record one second of video every day and smash it together and get these incredible kind of like memory videos. And I started to realize like, wow, you have this app that people can use to document their lives. And also I think you have a lot of experience helping people form habits and thinking about habits. And I thought you could just kind of maybe walk us through how you think about what one second every day is today. And also, I know that you've been the number one app in the app store on the uh, in many countries. Every New Year's. Every New Year's. <laughs> like, talk to us about what that is and what that means. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you know, uh, this started out as an art project for me personally as a means of trying to uh, do a, a daily journal in some way, shape, or form. And that turned into... Well, I've always been a video person and iPhone now has a HD camera. This is like 2012 <laughs> and being like, well, maybe I could do this with video instead of with words. And maybe I can do this in a way that is so short. I, I can't have an excuse to not do it. And so I was just doing that for myself. And that, of course, accidentally, quote unquote, turned into a, a tech company. Um, <laughs> I, I, I spoke at the TED conference. Everybody who saw that talk and got millions of views was like, I want to do this too. And I thought, hey, maybe I could build an app that makes it easy for anybody to do this. And uh, So the app came after TED? I don't right. think I realized that. Yeah, yeah. When I pitched it to TED, I had been at it for like three months. So I showed them like the yeah. first like 60 seconds and I said, hey, this is just something I've decided to do for the rest of my life. Um, and it just so happens that the next TED conference was a week after I'll finish the first you know, year. <laughs> Their whole theme for that conference was called Full Spectrum. And they were trying to lean into multimedia presentations, like mm -hmm. things that weren't just PowerPoint presentations. So I applied with that kind of pitch of, hey, like I'm doing something that I think is very different than just a PowerPoint presentation. And I, I had gotten to a point even after just 90 days, I was like, oh, this is so easy to do. And it's having such a positive impact on my day to day life. So why stop? And mm -hmm. it's so easy and it mm -hmm. brings so much value. And so it wasn't really until after TED that I was like, OK, maybe um, I should build an app. But even then, I thought I could just build it, put it on the app store and make a passive income on it while I worked on other projects. I went to art school. I was an artist, you know, I've never built a business. The whole idea of raising money from investors, like all that was alien to me. Yeah. Uh, it, it took me a long time to get my bearings on the VC space and all that stuff. And so the app, you know, took over my life slow. Like it took like two or three years for me to be like, oh, I think this is like, I've realized that I'm waking up every day and this is just like, this is my job. It's, this is what I'm doing. Like, now. Yeah. yeah. I learned the hard way that like you don't finish technology. There was always a new version of the app. There was always a new iOS things that I wanted to do and, you know, snuck up on me that I built a company and, and <laughs> I needed to like now kind of like lean into it as opposed to trying to think that I could finish it. And I think that's, I think that's a lesson a lot of people learn is that technology is never done. Like it's ready. And then guess what? All the stuff around you changes and there's new stuff you can do and there's new things that are enabled. And it's kind of like, if you can stay on the problem and keep innovating and keep changing, then you're all good. But if you don't, then you're not. It doesn't seem like that, though. It seems like you make a simple thing that it's done. And I mean, it's it's funny to hear yeah. you say like, oh, I'm going to build this project and now I'm going to build this app and now I'm going to build this company. And then actually I am still doing it. Yeah, it wasn't really until, you know, I brought in a co-founder and I brought in a full-time CTO and I brought in a full-time CPO and like actually built a team around everything that, you know, things got real. And I was like, oh, like, this is great. Like, we can actually do all the things that are in my head. And, you know, till this day, I'm still really passionate about everything that we have going on. And, and I think we were really lucky that we built the company in such a way without 
VC, you know, without any of the traditional means. Because when we launched in 2013, iPhone storage was like eight gigabytes. Uh, there were no native ways to share video. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that makes what our app is, like the world didn't exist for that yet, you know? Um, and by by sheer fact that we stayed profitable and nimble and, 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 and scrappy and as, you know, the iPhone kept getting better and better and as like the ability for it to share video became easier, you know, when Instagram was like, oh, you could just put video in the feed. And I was like, oh, hallelujah. And, you know, and like Twitter started doing that. Facebook started doing that. Like with all that ability and ease of sharing came every like inflection point for the company. So it was really lucky. If we had just raised venture in like 2013, we would have been dead in 2015. Totally. Um, but, you know. Well, you took your own path. And I know a lot about that. And it's it's a very nice place to be. Um, so one second every day is something that people build habits around. And I mean, it makes sense that, you know, New Year's Day is the day people are like, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to go and do this. New Year, new me. Yep. New Year, new me. <laughs> and like, can you talk about, you know, when does it actually work? When do habits work? It's a couple of things. I think it needs to be easy. We're already recording videos and photos all the time, you know, so like, for us, it's really just about like weaponizing the stuff that's in your camera roll now and, and making sure that like you're logging that into our app. And we have like a one click way to just like fill up your calendar if you want, if you just want to head start and let our algorithm kind of do its thing. So I think that's a key one. The more friction it is to try to get somebody to, you know, create a new habit, the harder time you are going to have trying to get that person to do it. I think there's just desirability too. I think, you know, how much do you want it? But usually, you know, the the New Year's is our catch-all because most people, it's just like the obvious everybody yeah. is going to start their new year. But like there's multiple inflection points uh, throughout the year that bring in like our kind of day-to-day downloads and, and conversions and everything, which is uh, number one by far is babies. Like when a parent mm-hmm. has a baby, mm-hmm. like they care more about capturing the life of their kid than they care about they ever Anything cared else. about their own life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a whole flip, you know, the, that's the, what, the desire yeah. to capture those moments is far greater than their own. That's when I started using it every day was yeah, yeah. when my first kid was born and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then you just like watch her grow up. And it's yeah. like a really, it's a very emotional thing to watch. Like, cause you're selecting all these moments um, for different reasons. And yeah. I think it also is like, um, for me, it's like it it changes my memories almost. Like it, it's like there's mm. certain things I'm like that like little tiny moments that are fleeting, just like memories are fleeting, that bring me back. That is like very cool when you've like proactively chosen it. It's like this is the yeah. stuff I want to remember, versus like yeah. yeah, I take photos and videos all the time. Sometimes those things pop up on my phone, or whatever. But I feel like the fact that you can curate it is yeah. like a very interesting part of the app. Yeah, the thing that is always hard to convey, I've never found a silver bullet to convey this to anyone, but uh, most people before they start see people's once again ready videos. And the thing that I try to explain as best as I can is like it hits different when it's your moments, right? Like when you're just watching somebody else's stuff, you're just like, that's cool. I don't know. Yeah. But when you actually know the actual context of every single moment that you're watching yeah. and they're all just flashing by, yeah. like the first time somebody sees like their full year it's a whole different ball game and i just got a message from somebody who just said 10 years because he downloaded wow. the app on day one but yeah those kinds of connections to it are, are a huge piece of it so you said you went to art school i went to pratt institute in brooklyn and what kind of what kind of art did you do there i studied visual effects and animation okay and i was like a 3d artist for a long time my trajectory was i'm gonna end up working at ilm for lucas you know star wars movies or i'm gonna end up at pixar 
But <laughs> a lot of friends will make fun of me because something they heard me say over and over again throughout like my quote unquote youth was the whole idea of being <laughs> entrepreneur sounded awful to me, like being in charge, yeah. like having to make decisions. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, I just want to work like a nine to five. I want to animate <laughs> some cartoon characters. I want to go home and watch a movie. Like that's what I thought I wanted. But it wasn't really until I started working in the industry after I graduated that I realized, oh, I actually don't have any creative control over what I'm doing. I'm basically mm. just following orders and instructions. But I was working like 100 hour work weeks all the time, too. So I, yeah. it wasn't even just the work. I was beholden to these deadlines, you know, and uh, I had no life for a couple of years where I, you know, my life was work. Yeah. Um, but I'm grateful because it, it, it broke me that that yeah. like that lifestyle over the course of like three to four or five years uh as as that work kind of ramped up was what instigated me being like i need to find an exit strategy because this isn't what i want to do for the next like 40 years of my life yeah no i mean i feel like we're talking about something that's like not always discussed which is that when i heard the word entrepreneurship like in college and like entrepreneurship class I'm like who the f is that like who thinks of that yeah. like you think you're so great you just want to make yeah. a bunch of money like that's so yeah. stupid people who want to get rich that's yeah, what i exactly. thought of an entrepreneur was. and yeah. like i feel like when you've actually done it and you're like oh it's creative problem solving. And it's like, mm, if you're doing mm -hmm. it right, you're constantly trying to solve big, hard problems. And mm. often the creative things are like by far the best solution, right? Like mm -hmm. you come up with the most creative mm -hmm. thing and it's like, yeah, you get these three things done and it's free and it's cheap mm -hmm. and it's delightful, whatever. And like, for me, I think that's what I found is like that it can be so rewarding. Yeah, I can go on like 50 rants about this stuff too. Uh, I, always, I always used to think that I want to make a movie someday. Yeah. And the thing about a movie is that like it's the amalgamation of like you know so many art forms yeah. that you're trying to like yeah. balance into one yeah and then i became an entrepreneur and i'm like wow actually this is even layers more because you could get to the stage of having a movie but then you have to be creative about the marketing you have to be creative about how to sell it yeah. how to manage the budget and produce it or whatever like the creative problem solving of an entrepreneur is actually the pinnacle where you're trying to balance out everything the product the business strategy around yeah. like how to monetize like all that stuff is just creativity like how do we best position this to you know make the company stay alive yeah and i think <laughs> it's it's also you know with a movie if it's one concept and it's, you know, you go and you spend years on it and then you put it out there and like, depending on what's happening in society at that moment to like, you know, oh. you, you can hit it out of the park where the same movie two months later can be a flop, right? Like that yeah, happens yep. all the time. And I think yep. about it as like almost like every year is a different movie. It's like every year is like, what are we building now? And what are yep. we going to try to do? And it's not always going to hit, but at least you get many shots on goal. Like you get to keep trying. Yeah. All right, look, you're wearing the Board Ape Yacht Club sweatshirt, so like the hoodie. So I knew you wanted to chat enough tea. So of course I, I, I do. I thought, of course it was I, do. I thought it was appropriate to wear it. So I think it's also, it's important to transition when we've been talking about business and entrepreneurship and also talking about your background. And we've started talking about NFTs on the show. Um, I think we probably talked about like seven episodes. And it just, I can't help it. I can't help but talk about it because there's like so much interesting stuff happening with like, yeah. This, you know, technology, which is like a ticket to things. And then like these like tokens attached to them and this way of like artists, like getting money for the things that they sell and like not being limited by gallery space. And it just feels like this beginning of this massive thing. And yeah. I want to say, as we get into this, like, I think you might be the person who like of my social sphere, when I saw you talking about the Board Ape Yacht Club and things, you were so early. And I'm like, if Caesar's into this, there must be something here. And it caused me to go down a rabbit hole of learning. 
And I just feel like you've just like had this seat at the front. And so I think before we get into the specifics of like the different projects and stuff, I've tried to describe this myself, but I would love for you to just say like to the audience who is, it, I would mm-hmm. say they've heard the term NFT, they've, they've heard non-fungible token, but like what is an NFT really and what does it enable? Um, yeah. So at the base level, NFT is just a unique digital item, right? But, you know, the way that I'll usually describe it to someone uh, like in my family or something, it's like, look, if I have a $1 bill in my pocket and you have a dollar bill in your pocket and we just decide to switch them, nothing changes, right? You can go to with my dollar bill to the store and turn it into bubble gum and I can do the same. But if I have a painting and you have a painting and mine's of a dog and yours is of a cat, like they're different and they were different artists, different everything, right? They're just, they're like, there are no two of them. Um, and so that's really all an NFT is. I always like to say the least interesting thing you could do with an NFT is point a wallet at a JPEG. It's what most people think about with an NFT right now because it's the easiest thing you could do with an NFT. It's what everybody's doing and it's really easy and cheap and and everybody's just throwing stuff at the wall because it's it's like we're in the we're in the draconian experimental stage of of NFTs where everybody's just like seeing what lands. I mean, there are no rules yet. We're in the wild, wild west of the of the space. That also means that 99% of NFTs are crap and like and unfortunately probably they get the most attention. And so what we can do with the digital ownership, we've barely begun to scratch the surface of what that means, but you know, you mentioned earlier like ticketing or something, right? Like ticketing. Mm-hmm. There's a term in the space that's getting more and more popular to use, which is a, it's schemorphic. And schemorphic essentially means that like a lot of NFT things are just like pointing at something in the real world. Like you're saying instead of me getting a ticket to go to a Red Sox game and I like might have a digital ticket Instead, that's replaced with an NFT, but it's basically like, it's not that different, really. Right. It's like, it's still just a ticket and any website could have made that exist, right? (laughs) Without a blockchain, right? Like, it's just like, oh yeah, just open up this app and and scan, right? Like people already do. Um, And so like, that's a skeuomorphic use of the the technology. Can you do it? Of course you can. But is it interesting? Like, I think we'll look back in in years as people start innovating in the space and, and think about all the things that... Uh, you know, we thought were interesting or whatever, but, you know, a lot of them were probably just like copycat, do the exact same thing, but digitally. Um, and so, you know, for example, one, one of the early obsessions that I had at the beginning of my journey, I got really into a platform called Artblocks. And that really spoke to my art school sensibilities in that, like, it's a generative art platform where an artist is creating a piece of code that you know he sets the rules you'll say here's what this uh this code creates and you're going to see the first one and that's it and you're going to pay say at the time 0.1 eth to click a mint button and randomly the parameters of that code will be adjusted based on all sorts of criteria and you are going to get a version of this but not this one yeah and only a thousand people are going to get that and the most famous one is one by tyler hobbs called fidenza so if you look at a Fidenza, they all look totally different from each other. But if you look at all of them, they are obviously all part of the same family. Like they're clearly all Fidenzas, right? And it's, it's kind of hard to uh, describe until you see it most of the time. When I show people, they're like, whoa, like they they get it all of a sudden, right? right? Yeah. And, and they, they, they see it. And so like that's a great example of like a combination of non-schemorphic things. That is, this could not have existed without a blockchain. Um, for me, what was most exciting about paying attention to art blocks as, you know, in those early days was wow, this is what I've been thinking about since I was in art school, which is what happens when the 
arts these people in art school can code yeah like what does that look like watching art blocks explode was like wow so like now artists can code and this is what art looks like when you you converge those two things and i think one of the reasons i've been so obsessed with the space is because i spent 10 years you know in art and then i spent 10 years in tech and as soon as NFTs, the word NFT was like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like it was, it's just like, it's the convergence of these two kind of things, at least for now. I feel like you said this in the art piece, but I want to, I feel like just like really cement at home, which is like this idea that, okay, pre NFT, pre digital art, I'm a painter. I make this painting. I make another painting. I made, I've made 10 paintings. People can see that like, I'm the painter on all of them. They like them. Um, there's only 10. They're all different. And then in this world, it's like, all right, I'm going to write code and you're going to, when you click a button, you're going to like pay to get this, this art put onto the blockchain. So we know that one person owns it effectively Yeah. and it's generatively created. And now there's 10 or there's a hundred or there's 10,000 people can get pieces of art can be created. And, you know, there's the Fidenzas and the ringers and all these other ones that are like very cool and very interesting. And then people can go and buy them. And if the value of the art goes up, just as it would in the traditional world, um, instead of like those first 10, you know, they get sold to me and then it's all secondary sales. There's also this concept, right, with NFTs that because it's a contract, uh, you can have like rules written into it. So um, Tyler Hobbs makes Fidenzas. And then as they're all sold again and again and again, he gets a percentage of every sale, right? It's the holy grail of what most artists have had to deal with their entire like lives as a as a, a problem and thing that has never had a, a, a proper solution. I mean, I have so many friends that I went to art school that, you know, either are six months still trying to like send invoices to clients yeah. being like, hey, you still haven't paid me. Like, um, you know, I have friends who provided art for something that exploded and they you know, well, you signed the contract that said we paid you $100. So, I mean, you know, contract complete, right? Like they don't see any benefits or money for, for some of the work that they've done that became, you know, important. You know, right right now I'm speaking with a couple of people in the comic book industry because that's the perfect example of artists that uh, created the IP that basically runs Hollywood today. <laughs> like yeah. movie theaters are making money off of superheroes uh, created by a ton of artists that, uh, aren't seeing uh, any any money for for that, right? Um, and on and on and on. And what this finally solves for is actually having an artist create a piece of art and and contractually, immutably on the blockchain, always get a residual of every secondary sale, which is absolutely crazy and and complete game changer. And and the things that artists are even doing to like think about creatively using that superpower is astonishing. You know, like the more and more you pay attention to it. That's awesome. Um, okay, we have a lot of stuff to cover. What is the Board API Club for people who don't know? Yeah. Um, how deep should I go? Okay, I'm going to give you my version. G- of give us your history. version. That's what we want. I'll give you my version of history. Uh, here's what happened. So one of the original like NFT projects was CryptoKitties. You could breed these cats, and that alone brought down the Ethereum network back in like 2017. Yeah. Um, and that team took those learnings and said, like, this will never be mainstream if it can't handle just one project with a couple of people breeding cats. <laughs> so they built something called Flow. It's a totally different blockchain. And when they launched it, they launched it with uh, NBA Top Shots, which is essentially NBA basketball cards that are digital. Perfect example of being non-schemorphic. Instead of just taking photos and being like, here's a card, mm-hmm. 
they made the moments be video and they're 3D and like it's every angle of a given play and, and on and on. And, and and the thing is, at the very beginning when they launched, nobody was paying attention and they were expensive for a lot of people. Um, and so right around January of last year of 2021, it actually like picked up steam and it it kind of blew up in the basketball community. And so you went from like 50,000 people in the NFT space, probably less of being like generous, yeah. like to half a million people showing up like overnight yeah. because of NBA Top Shot. Because they understood what that was. They're like, this is a new yeah. version that's it's different. It's right? Yeah. Of- I'm an NBA fan. Yeah. I like basketball cards. These are digital basketball cards, yeah. right? And yeah. so at that point in time, this is what happens. A lot of people are like, hey, this NFT thing's pretty cool. What else you got? Right? They start looking around the space. They want to learn more. Like, this is amazing. What else is, is here? Um, and CryptoPunks is like the, the thing. It was like twenty or $50,000 to own a CryptoPunk because they were the original quote-unquote PFP profile photo project from like 2017. There was the first collection of 10,000, you know, little tiny little characters that uh, are each unique. Right. And so the thing with the CryptoPunks is like they were already kind of like the Illuminati of the NFT space, because what owning a CryptoPunk meant at that point in time was one of two things. Yeah. You're OG. So you've been in the Ethereum kind of NFT thing for now, like since 2017, (laughs) or you're rich. Yeah. That's the community. (laughs) And remember, these NBA Top Shots guys, they're not rich. They're just guys who like basketball cards. And so they're priced out of a CryptoPunk. Right. And so April and May comes around and the Bored Apes show up as a PFP project. Now, today, there are like 30 NFT PFP projects launching every day. But back then, there was like a project launching like every two to three days. So when the Bored Apes kind of came up, you're talking to like half a million people, right? Like, or or let's call it 100,000 people who are paying attention to the NFT space up beyond the NFT Top Shots were like, this is our crypto punks. And so compared to any other project that was launching at the time, people who bought at Bored Apes were like, uh, you know, quote unquote, diamond handed, like the board apes really kind of initiated uh, something that hadn't really been done in the space yet at that point in time, which is to say, owning this board ape is essentially your membership into the club. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the board apes essentially became like the PayPal mafia of like the NFT space because there was just like such a huge congregation yeah. of people. And because they were also the first ones to really say, like, you have the IP rights and like really lean into it. They all took their apes and built IP around their personal apes. And so even more so, they were unincentivized to sell. There was also another thing I think that was considerable that happened. It's a very common thing in the space now, but it got this train running of like uh, this hashtag on Twitter of like ape follow ape. And so basically the community actually created essentially a social network around itself where like my Twitter feed became board apes just because the algorithm saw that I was engaging with that stuff, you know, Twitter was doing its thing. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say too, is like, it's interesting because it's like the ape follow ape thing. And then you have the wallets to show like who owns what. And now Twitter's added support for like NFT profile photos and you can verify that like you really do own it. It seems like it's almost self-organizing the opposite way things would normally go. Right. Like, Normally, there'd be a social network that exists and people would try to find folks to connect with each other on. And what you're saying is in this case, like it's all these people who figured this thing out early. And it's like instead of being at like South by Southwest and like trading phone numbers with each other (laughs) or trading like Twitter handles, it's like the group self-organized on this thing of like, oh, we've realized that digital ownership's real. And then now that's still propagating and evolving. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. I, I always say that Twitter's the first metaverse. It's not 3D. We're not all walking around talking to each other like a player one. But it's just like it's what we got. And 
those profile photos, you know, are our first art gallery. It's a huge, you know, um, point of identity for people. Um, yeah. And the 500,000 people who, who showed up into the NFT shores with NBA Top Shows are primarily men. And so the space was just like primarily men, which is like awful. <laughs> but then over the last couple of months, as more and more yeah, women are arriving change. into the space, I mean, like there's just all this other stuff now that's wonderful and different and new that's finally, you know, uh, diversifying itself. You know, as the demographics continue to shift, I think there's a couple of projects that have cemented communities that are, you know, not going anywhere. That's awesome. So we're almost out of time, but I want to ask two things really quick. So you have your own yeah. NFT project, Illuminati. Yeah. Why'd you launch your own project? Uh, you know, just like one second every day, it started out as like, God, I, I got some ideas, blah, 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 and then started talking to a friend. Uh, one of my best friends was like a, an amazing artist, and we're just starting like, you know what I haven't seen? You know what I haven't yeah. seen? You know what I've seen? Like, it's just like, it, it, I, my mind's just going racing a mile a minute. And then uh, a friend of mine, you know, uh, Alex Taub, uh, who is the founder of a company called Upstream that is essentially built like a DAO in a box. Uh, we came up on this space together, like paying attention to everything. So he had an idea for an NFT project. And then we were like, we should all three of us work together. Like we each hit on like totally different like parts of the equation here. And and the idea of like what we were trying to do kind of evolved into a DAO itself. It did really well. We sold out in like 13 seconds in our public sale. And, and half of the money that went to the Mint went into a DAO uh, that is, you know, going to be voted on with the entire community with regards to all the stuff we're going to do. But yeah, it's really exciting. You know, it started out as a little side project. And then one day I was just like, did I suddenly start a second company? Oops. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, well, it seems like that's how you started the first one, too. It's like, oh, wait, yeah. did I just start, did I start a company and make an app that I continued to build? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, the idea of like, I'm going to build a company, like, is not the way that my brain functions. It's more like I just start working on something I think is fun or interesting and then Maybe one day I wake up and I realize that it's turned into more, you know, just because like my natural obsession just kind of kept feeding it. And I think that's the stuff where I'm most passionate and most useful and most suited for my own talent. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. All right. Well, I want to take that moment, which is you're obviously, well, I'll say you're a little passionate about NFTs. You're, <laughs> you're extremely passionate about NFTs. I feel like you and I yeah. could talk about this for a long oh, no. time hours. And I think probably once we stop recording, we'll keep talking. But you know, I also think it's interesting at this moment, because so many people have been so burnt out during the pandemic, right? Totally. And they felt like this like stagnation or lack of creative fulfillment. Um, they've grown their pandemic hair. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've been in a creative rut. For those people who are listening, who want the passion that you have, like what advice would you give them? Like, is it just NFTs? How do you stay passionate? How do you scratch the creative itch when things are remote and things are unpredictable? I think the number one trait that I feel very lucky I have, I'm just like curious about everything. And I don't know if that's nature or nurture. I don't know if curiosity is a gene or curiosity is something you can kind of like instill in somebody, but it's the solution to like everything. I think it's, it's empathy. It, it, it solves for you know, every possible kind of thing. And and, and yeah, I, I, I don't know how to make somebody curious, but I think um, the more you just pull on threads and like you end up landing in places you never, like the, I, the, the fact that like this NFT thing was happening a year ago, right? Invisible to like 99.99999% of people yeah. or whatever. And everybody always wants to figure out like, how could I be early to the next thing, right? 
like I don't want to learn about the board apes when they're worth a hundred ETH, right? Like I want to learn about the board apes when they're like at the beginning and why? Why are they interesting? Like for me, I just went on the Discord and I started just lurking, and <laughs> that led to you know some interesting. You know, like what? What is he talking about? Yeah. I had to Google, like, they yeah. throw words around, and, and one thing yeah. led to another, and I think that's usually how everything happens for me. Well, I think that's great advice that people should lurk more. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it, it is actually it's funny because like your experience is my experience just with NFTs specifically, but I realize it's it's repeated itself over and over and over with different topics over the years and different things it has been like, well, how do I change and adapt my social network on social media in particular, like? to give me the feeds of things that I wasn't seeing. And I think I've gotten better um, at trying to like subscribe and cut. And then the realization that all this stuff is happening all around us, and you have to decide where do you want to put your attention? um, And where do you want to learn? And I think it is really good advice. It's just like, find the things you want to learn about and get really deep. And if you find those things really early, that's where, I mean, we're talking about NFTs, but I think it's very analogous to like, almost any business idea or creative endeavors, like how do you find the group that's so passionate? How do you get yourself to be a part of that community? And usually just by putting yourself out there and asking some questions and and lurking. And uh, it's cool to see you go on this journey because I feel like it feels like it's been longer than a year. It's crazy to me that it's only been a year. So much has happened in the last yeah. eight months. There's no way to quantify it. It's wild. Well, I guess if people are interested and they want to learn more about NFTs, they want to learn more about you, where should they go? Oh, man. Uh, I'm probably not the best. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, sure. On Twitter, I mostly lurk. I I, I read and I, I follow people. But uh, I actually tell people who want to learn about NFTs sometimes. And they're like, well, who should I follow on Twitter? I'm like, I don't know. I follow like a thousand people who are interesting NFT people. Just follow everybody I follow. Like, just create a dummy account. But yeah. just follow everybody I follow. But yeah, it's my name at Caesar Kuriyama at, you know, all the things. I'm also laughing because I feel like you're saying don't follow me, basically. You're like, don't follow me. <laughs> I just don't think I'm, a, I'm useful <laughs> for somebody learning about the NFT space. <laughs> as your friend and as someone who follows you, and I learned about this, I would say, from you. So that's, oh, what's, right, that's right. what's really making me laugh. You're like, all right, sweet, sweet. <laughs> yeah. That makes me feel good. Um, all, right. all right. Well, look, dude, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing this with us. I know we only just scratched the surface, but um, I think this is a topic that everyone's trying to understand. So I, I really appreciate you sharing the knowledge and opening the book a little bit. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I, I, NFTs are going to touch every part of everything uh, eventually. It's just early. Uh, and there's only certain communities that arrive to the space. But uh, that's what's exciting is that if you have a community that has still not been served by the NFT space, it means that you, you, you just have to dig a little bit to, to see where, like, the Dungeons and Dragons people are going to be NFT people. I mean, they yes. were playing World of Warcraft, you know, like years ago and selling the swords that they got at the cave mm-hmm. on eBay for 100 bucks. Like, this is all, like, they, they're just not here yet. Like, the games mm-hmm. haven't been built yet that actually take advantage of this technology. Anyways, I can rant and rant and rant, but uh, <laughs> I, um, uh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I, I can, like I said, I'm happy to rant about this anytime. Chris. Well, you guys went deep. We went deep. We went so deep. deep. I think we could have gone deeper, as you know, because we stopped recording and then Caesar and I didn't shut up for like another 15 minutes. Yep. So, yep. <laughs> oops. <laughs> okay. Well, here are some things. As an NFT outsider and somewhat skeptic slash somewhat confused, I will say that today's interview does have me thinking about NFTs differently. Mm-hmm. Um, in a few different ways. 
I still have a lot of questions, but, um, you know, Caesar said, like, stay curious, always be lurking. So maybe it's my turn to lurk. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is what I needed to do. It's hear. time for you to jump in some discords and see what the hell's going on. <laughs> oh my God, the ETH, the discords. You guys were talking in tongues. Do you know what ETH is? It's just like the currency. It's Ethereum. The, yeah, it's the blockchain and the currency. Do you know what Discord uh-huh. is? The platform? Discord is like Slack. Like where you talk. It's, it's like Slack. Yeah, um, where you talk but, to each other. Yeah, okay. Okay. Good. Great. What else? Was there another term in there? Um, he said ape in. Ape in. <laughs> That's what everyone calls it. I mean, the best part is that after we finished recording, Caesar and I just kept talking for like 15 minutes. And he's like, yep. I really tried to hold back on my web yeah. lingo. And he did. He, I, I think You're he did like hold back. mutant serum. And I'm just like We did talk about some serums. We did talk you know, about some mutants. Yeah. What happened to like making chicken soup? I I mean, you could still make chicken soup. That's fine. Actually, to his point, there's probably an opportunity for an NFT chicken soup community. There is. Yeah. There is. And I'm going to be right at the helm of that. Yep. Here's a community of people who are, they just think, you know what? Why isn't there more of an emphasis on chicken soup? Why aren't we talking (laughs) about like how al dente the noodles are and what kind of stock we're using. And that could be the different rarities. You could have like true organic free range is like, you know, only less than a percent gets that. And you could have, you know, the ones that have purple carrots are more rare. And then you have just <laughs> oh, a regular do, basic one. I do like one. a purple carrot. I like a purple carrot. The floor chicken soups that anyone can have. The floor chicken soups. I think this could be Thank a thing. you. Thank you for planting this seed. I feel inspired. Um, <laughs> But I, I was I was inspired. One second every day is such a cool idea. And I feel like you said it changes your memory, but I feel like it also makes you seek out sort of special moments. Like it's mm-hmm. not just like, oh, I remember that, but it also, it helps you try to find those moments throughout a day that might feel monotonous or, you know, repetitive, whatever. Like you're like, oh, like I took a walk and this nice thing happened. It just... I'm rambling now. You well, have chicken it, soup in my brain. Well, it's, it's funny as you were saying that, what it was making me think of was, you know, I've gone through different moments in time when I did one second every day. And like one moment that I've gone back to was when the pandemic started and like the photos I was taking right before and videos. And then right when it was happening, I, I shot a bunch of stuff with my kids like as they were shutting playgrounds down. You know, when we didn't really understand like how long lasting this was going to be or whatever. And it's interesting because I assumed that all the photos and the moments I would capture would be kind of like dark and sad. But the truth is when I go back and look like you can tell when it started, but not really like, yeah, I'm more at home and my kids are more at home, but like there's still all these fun and silly moments and stuff. And it's like almost like I would encourage people if you haven't done it to go back and look. I think one second every day is a great way to do it. Is like look at that moment of like actual resiliency that we all have of getting through and managing just such an enormous change. And I think it's like a cool way to kind of capture that. Love that. Listeners, viewers, you have homework. You have homework. But fun homework. Yeah. And I think the other thing we should say is obviously we're recording episodes now on video. Mm-hmm. which is changing some stuff. We're trying to get it figured out, but we want you to know what to expect, which is we're going to continue to get the audio episodes out every other week. Sometimes the video episodes will be out at the same time. Sometimes they'll be out after. We're kind of figuring it out and we want your feedback. So tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. That's always super helpful. 
Email us. Email us at ttlpod at wistia.com. Subscribe. Rate. (laughs) Rate us. I think you said wait. (laughs) Said rate with an R. Yes. We do appreciate if you rate the podcast wherever you listen or view it. That's super helpful. And I think that is basically it, Sylvia, right? That's a wrap. All right. That's a wrap. Have a great day, everyone. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.